This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to The Better Buy, a podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. I'm your host, Melanie Berlier. Each week, we talk to experts about the highs and lows of home ownership and share stories, advice, and practical tips you can actually put to work in your own space. In this episode, I'm speaking with Kay Vollmer, who left New York for a small town in Florida that she fell in love with on a whim. There, she discovered the perfect 1912 home to restore to its former glory through her sophisticated, simple style while sharing her journey with her massive social following. Thank you so much for joining me, Kay. We're thrilled to have you here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Can you tell us the story of your most recent home purchase? You were vacationing in Florida, I believe, when you stumbled upon a gem of a town that you just couldn't resist. Is that right? Absolutely. That is the story. You got it. So basically, my husband and I, we were vacationing in Disney World. And you know, when you're in the hotel and those commercials come up and you're kind of like advertising local places that you should visit. And so the town came up and it was so reminiscent of the Northeast, where we were from. And I honestly was not familiar with that version of Florida. I was kind of used to, you know, those pre-planned communities where everything was kind of similar. And so when I saw the commercial come up and saw that the town was kind of, like I said, a little bit more reminiscent of where we were from, I said, we got to go see this. We absolutely have to go see this. This is what we're doing today. So jumped in the car, drove out here. And as soon as we entered the town, just got a complete vibe and said, this is definitely unique. This is a place to be. This is so different. And, you know, could imagine ourselves living here. Fascinating. And did you intend for that town to be where you would live primarily? There really was no real intention of moving to Florida at the time. It was always like a pie-in-the-sky idea, but never anything concrete. As with most people from the Northeast, every year between, I would say, New Year's and until the weather breaks, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of New York. We can't wait until one day we could leave. But there is never any definitive plan until like after retirement, you know? And so you go through yeah. it every single year. And that was kind of what it was. It was, like I said, pie in the sky. And there wasn't anything really definitive about actually leaving. Then when we came here and visited the town and saw how historic it was, the uh, location in terms of it being lakeside, the artistic nature of the town, the variety of homes, the architecture, it just felt good. It felt right. And then I kind of got the idea in my mind that a move needs to be made and better now than never. Right. I 100% feel you on that itch to leave every single winter as a longtime New Englander, by the way. Right, right. What's so interesting to me about your story is that you fell in love with this town first, and then you decided to house hunt virtually from New York in Florida. Can you tell me about the process of virtual house hunting? So the process of virtual house hunting was easy because I was motivated by the location. 
coming here and visiting the town that one day. I couldn't get it out of my head. And so once that happened, it was really easy to go online and just kind of like search and dream and obsess and, and think about life being completely different someplace else. I guess it started as kind of a fantasy and just imagining what life would be elsewhere. Being a native New Yorker, although I loved many aspects about the Northeast and, you know, growing up in Queens and being able to go into the city, I was never a fan of the weather. I always felt like the winters were kind of brutal. And so in the back of my mind, I always felt like I wanted to move to Florida someday anyway. And so just kind of obsessively and compulsively looked at listings. And then this one came across my screen. I asked my mom and my stepdad to come and take a look at it. They live about an hour and a half away. They came and looked at it. They took some photos, sent them over. And at that point, we had 10 days to do our due diligence um, to come down and make sure the home was worthy of purchasing. We put down the deposit, bought it sight unseen, entered into the contract and agreement, and then had 10 days to come down, inspect it, and make sure that it was all good and to move on with the purchase. And so that's basically how it went. So there was no like really extensive online search and see a bunch of homes kind of just saw this one this was the only one that I had them come and see I just had a good feeling about it and basically that's it you trust your mom way more than I do I'll just say that <laughs> <laughs> well there was another part of it she's great but I also had to come down and make sure that it was okay too so did that make you at all nervous buying a home sight unseen well again a motivating factor was location there was some concern, obviously, but at that time with Fixer Upper and things like that being really big, there was a lot of confidence instilled in many of us that, you know, you can make something out of anything. You know, I had a lot of confidence based on the transformations that I was seeing online, the transformations that I was seeing on television. We know good and well that it's not true in real life and that these things don't happen in an hour. But, <laughs> but at least you know that it could happen eventually. You also gave long-distance home reno a try for over a year, I believe. Can you tell us everything about that process and what you learned throughout and maybe what led you to realize that maybe that wasn't going to work out? First, let me say that I, I do think that long distance home renovation is possible. It just wasn't possible in this case. I love that you maintain positivity on that front. <laughs> well, it's true. It's true. Every situation is unique. So I would never want to speak against it because it could happen differently in someone else's case. I mean, some of it has to do with budget. If you're working with a whole lot more money and you can hire a construction firm with a solid project manager and your budget is kind of endless and it's someone who you trust, that's a little different. You know, you expect a certain level of workmanship. When you're doing things on a budget, it's not necessarily easy to do. Um, initially, the home was going to be used as a vacation home and then eventually become a primary residence. And so we hired this company to work on the renovations and they would send us photos, you know, of the updates. And those photos were kind of like strategically shot so that it looked like work was being done when it wasn't necessarily being done correctly. Deception through photography. <laughs> Absolutely. It was like, it was smoke and mirrors. They would take photos that were angled a certain way, right. but there was a larger part of the story that I really never got to see. 
So what I've never really talked about before is the fact that there was a lot of damage that was caused. They didn't have a dumpster. And so basically everything that was in the house was dumped on the side of the house. The air handler for the old air conditioning system was completely ruined because they dismantled it. They didn't cover any of the hardwood floors. So all of our hardwood floors had to be refinished. There was a lot of plumbing issues. So two of the floors in the bathrooms collapsed. I mean, there was thousands and thousands of dollars worth of damage. And they weren't sending you photos of the collapsed floors. No. In this particular case, it would have been easier to or at least for me, to be there on site. Also, I'm a very visual person and very, very hands-on. And so sometimes I need to be able to make a decision on the fly while I'm standing in the room. And so uh, I'll give you an example, like the bathroom. I have a large walk-in shower. Originally, it was a garden tub there that has been converted into a a large walk-in shower. And I sketched everything out, of course, even with all of the plans that I sent them, everything was was sketched out to a T, but sometimes you kind of need to be there to say, you know what, I, I don't really think that works in this space. Why don't we shift this? Why don't we change this? And since home renovation is very organic and it's a living thing, sometimes it's hard to do it from a distance. It's easier to be there because a ton of decisions need to be made on the fly. So After that, after the floor collapses, all of the damage to the hardwood floors, the AC unit being tore up, so much damage on the side of the property from them not having a dumpster. Oh, and also some materials had been stolen. Oh, no. I kind of went into a bit of a depression. I was really sad about the whole thing. And I knew at that point that a decision had to be made. You know, what happens next? Do you continue working with a company remotely? Do you move on and find another company? Do you pursue some kind of legal action? Or do you basically just say, you know what, now's the time to do something different, to just like, you know, go all out, leave this life in the North and take this tremendous leap of faith and manage this project and live. Why not? Especially if it's something that has been a desire for a while. So all of the drama actually ended up being your impetus for making the big move. Absolutely. I mean... There was a period of about six months after visiting the property and seeing all the damage that I kind of went into a depression because it was basically a farce and thousands of dollars in damage had been done. And once you did get down to Florida, I read that your very first move was to paint your door a color that you loved so much that you would smile every single time you walked through it. Can you talk to me about that and how it sort of inspired you to figure out what came next? Okay, so I had a lot of ideas in my mind what needed to be done, but the house in New York had not been sold yet. So number one, it was limited financially. And number two, I wasn't completely sure what was going to happen on the inside at that point. And then number three, I had not been able to find reliable contractors to work with. So I decided to approach it like that age-old adage, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And so the first step was to work on the front porch. After switching out the door to someone that was a little bit bigger and doing a couple of other modifications on the porch, decided to paint the door a very happy color. And what that color did was give me hope. It kind of reminded me every time I pulled up of what the house would eventually become. The rest of the house inside was a complete disaster. 
the house outside of the porch was a complete disaster. So I took a lot of tight shots that were only of the porch. <laughs> and I knew I wanted it to be a happy place, a vibrant place, and a very light and airy place. And that's what the color represented. It represented happiness and hope. I love that you say you took those tight shots of just the porch, the pretty part, right. because in a way, you were mirroring what those deceitful contractors did, which is kind of exactly. hilarious. Exactly. No, that's exactly <laughs> it. The power of angles, right? The power of angles. And, you know, I guess we can parallel that with our lives in general. We share the pretty parts. And right. at the time, you know, I was at in a very transitional period in my life. And so I kind of felt like I was the porch. And I was like, you know what? There is a lot here to work with. And so in a deeper sense, this house has been very spiritual for me and it has paralleled other things in my life that I've kind of transformed as well. That was the beginning. The beginning was a nice pretty porch. I love the uh, house as a metaphor for who you are. You've also said that the renovation took five years and that you don't regret the length of time at all. I would love to hear more about the importance of patience as you embark upon a renovation. Uh, Melanie, the renovation's still going, so. <laughs> <laughs> it never ends, right? It does not end. So the meat of the renovation took a good six years. I mean, there are still things that are going on now. Like we got a porch last year, painted the siding at the end of last year. What's next is landscaping and irrigation. And there's just so much more that needs to be done. There are decisions that you need to make organically when you're in a space. And at least personally, I don't feel like that could be done in the beginning on the fly. We'll be back with more from Kay Vollmer after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to The Better Buy, a podcast from Better Homes and Gardens. Since you're in a home that dates back to 1912, can you tell me a little bit about what you do to preserve the glory of an older home? Absolutely, I can. So I really spent a lot of time thinking about how to fit in into the neighborhood from a historical standpoint. Every home on the street is unique. A lot of the homes in the area are historic. And so, you know, I really wanted to honor that history by my renovation reflecting that era. My home was built on a few times over the years. So there's a bit of a Frankenstein thing going on here. So I wanted to make sure that the parts that were built, you know, in the 80s, more mirrored the parts that were built in the early 1900s. And so tried to make it feel like one large home instead of several smaller homes. If you had to guess, how many ghosts would you say live in there? Hopefully zero. 
<laughs> what would you say is your favorite room in the house at this stage? Hmm, I would say my favorite room in the house is probably the sunroom that I am sitting in now. And the reason why is because I'm a huge fan of natural light. There are a ton of windows in this room. It's right next to the pool. So I sit here, I work here, I get to have like a large water feature in the background, kind of like flowing. So this is definitely my favorite room. Hey, can you tell me where you find inspiration? So I followed a number of bloggers back in the day. And by back in the day, I mean like, you know, in 2012, 2011, when blogging or home decor blogging was in its infancy. And I was also like a big Pinterest fan. So I could spend hours and hours and hours pinning on Pinterest. And I would say that Pinterest is still a huge motivation for me whenever I, you know, have an idea, just the, the tiniest elements of idea, the inkling of an idea, I go on to Pinterest and I'm able to develop an entire plan based on that. To me, I think it's a great source of inspiration. I also find a lot of inspiration on hows print publications. Um, and honestly speaking, I've been a huge fan of Better Homes and Gardens for many, many years. I think that they oh, are like the Bible. That. They're like the Bible of home decor. We kind of are. And so once you get all of your inspiration and you're ready to tackle a project, I'm curious how you decide when to DIY and when to hire. Oh, gosh. You know, I have become a lot more balanced about hiring of late. Because DIYing is wonderful in theory, but the older I get, the more conscious I am of how I expend my energy. And a lot of times I just don't have the energy to DIY a project, at least not a full scale. Can I just say that is such a good point because DIYing, it's not just about the financial cost, it's about the cost of your bandwidth. I love that point. Right, right. And and you know how fast things move in today's age, especially as a content creator. I just don't have the bandwidth to do it. And so I will hire out a project a lot quicker than I used to before I was kind of like, yeah, I can do anything. But that's just not true anymore. I'll do a smaller project, a craft project, a piece of furniture, just like really small um, and confined things. But anything that's really large scale, most of the time I will not DIY it. I will hire it out. I actually just finished working on a renovation at my mom's house that involved a lot of painting. Something like that I'll do, but um, I'm not building cabinets or putting on my own roof. Yeah, and there's no shame in, in hiring out a task to a professional. No, it's actually smart to do. I mean, the trades are a no-brainer. That's always something that's going to be hired out, electrical, plumbing, unless it's like super minor. But um, any large-scale project, um, definitely I lean more towards hiring out and being kind of just like the creative force behind it. I think it's just more efficient. I think you're right. Can you share some of your favorite money-saving home tips? Thrifting furniture is definitely one. So like I said, there are DIY projects that I will do, and they have to be really simple, though. There are designer pieces that I'm influenced by, that I love, and I think you save a lot of money when decorating, when you can thrift a piece of furniture or thrift a piece of art and breathe new life into it, given that it doesn't take too much time to do. That's probably the biggest one for me. I will say, conversely, another way to save money is by not spending or buying things because they are inexpensive. That's the other part of it. So I find that over the years, I may say, oh, okay, I saw this on, I don't know, let's just say Facebook Marketplace. No shade. I love Facebook Marketplace. And I'm like, okay, well, you know what? It's only $100. Let's say it's a couch or something like that. 
and it doesn't really fit and I'm just trying to make it work because it's only a hundred dollars and then the next thing you know I'm tired of it I don't like it it wasn't a good fit to begin with but I wanted to save money where I should have just went ahead and purchased what I wanted in the first place. Such a good point. So <laughs> in some cases, it's great to thrift things and to kind of like make things work. Yeah. And in other cases, when it comes to pieces that are like nearer and dearer and close to your heart that are really functional, again, tying into that whole point of giving a space time, giving a home time before you commit to certain things, you know, sometimes you have to spend for a piece that makes sense. If not, you are wasting money along the way right. trying to make things fit just because of cost. Yeah, just because it's a good deal doesn't make it a must buy. You've got to trust your instincts on that front. Amen. <laughs> Is there an item you can think of when it comes to designing your home that is usually worth splurging on? Yes. Yes. I believe that Good art is worth splurging on. I think that there are certain statement pieces, preferably ones that are not trendy at all, things that are, are classic that need to be splurged on. I'm, I adore art. I'm obsessed with it. I live in a very artistic town, and I believe in supporting local artists. And I feel like if you find a good piece that's special, that resonates with you, I say splurge on it, and it will stand the test of time. Comfortable seating is number two because I'm a big time lounger, like we lounge a lot at this house. And so, you know, I have a really great fluffy couch that I love to like take naps on. I don't feel like we should sacrifice when it comes to seating. Now seating like, you know, an office chair or like dining room chairs, that's something else. But like couches and mattresses are things that absolutely should be splurged on in my opinion, because these things kind of like affect your life. Yes, you deserve to be comfortable. And your health. I would agree 100%, and <laughs> so does my rear. <laughs> what are some of your favorite tips for designing small spaces in particular? So I'm a bit of a minimalist, even when it comes to larger spaces. So when it comes to smaller spaces, I think the focus should be, in my experience, on texture. Less pieces that are more textural will add to the warmth of a home, will add to the coziness of the space. So wherever you can add texture, do that. That can be bought in through plants. That could be bought in through textiles. That could even be bought in through art. Don't overcrowd the space, but add as much texture as you can. I'm a big fan of open and airy. So for my vibe, less things with more textural pieces. Less things, but more plants. I love your point that plants add texture. I do they not think people do. associate plants with texture necessarily. So, Plants are, are huge. They can definitely make a space. Like right now I have this tremendously long lipstick plant sitting on top of my refrigerator. I have plants all over the place. Texture, 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 and living things. To me, plants evoke life, you know? So even if you're feeling like physically or mentally dead, like, you know, exhausted and you look around and you see these gorgeous living things around you, they breathe life into you. And then you know the whole cycle or circle, vice versa, and you breathe life into them. Yes. You, can't, you really can't go wrong with a plant. You cannot. So do you have any advice for people who want to make their space feel more welcoming? What makes a space feel more welcoming is how you feel about your space. And so if I feel completely comfortable about my space, I think I'll give off that energy to people who come into my home. There are homes that I may go into that 
some people may not consider professionally designed, but my goodness, the warmth is there, the vibe of the family, the hospitality of the individuals who I'm coming to see. I think that is more important than what you do aesthetically. You can have the most beautifully decorated home, but if the host isn't welcoming or if they're like, you know, extra anal about, you know, putting your foot on the couch or whatever it is, it would make it less welcoming. If you, you know what I mean? I just feel like really the vibe in the mm. space and the happiness yeah. of the home is a big determiner of a space being welcoming. Yeah, that's well said. Would you say that the 1912 home you're currently residing in is your forever home? I am not sure. I definitely feel like this is my forever location because I love mm. being down here and I love the town. I love the notion of a forever location. I think you just invented that. It's <laughs> Again, I, I definitely think that it's important to buy first and foremost for location and for lifestyle. You can always change the house, but you can never change the location. So as long as you are where you want to be logistically, then you can move around in that area. And that's the cool part about buying for location because you can kind of shop around in the area and say, no, I actually like this street a little bit better or I prefer to be by the water or I like, you know, this is a little nook in this area or a little, you know, cul-de-sac that I appreciate a little bit more. So it's definitely my forever location. Really good point, Kay. If you could give one piece of advice to new homeowners, what would it be? Again, location is very important. Um, number two, don't believe what you see on Instagram or on social media because it is primarily smoke and mirrors. And I know that as people say, the comparison is the thief of joy. <laughs> so don't get hung up on comparing your home and your situation with what you see online, because for every made up and well-decorated and clean and clutter-free room is three more in the background that are cluttered, messy, and beds aren't made. So I would say that anyone looking for a home or looking to decorate their home needs to realize that home takes time and that time is only determined by you. There is no set amount of time that you need to renovate your home. Now, just to step back, I used to be so gung-ho about fixers. It was all about fixers. And I feel like some people feel pressure to buy something that is older or that needs to be fixed up and they want to conquer it and they want to create it into something that it was not. And that's great. But there's also a lot of beauty in buying something that is new and that doesn't need to be fixed up as well. So, <laughs> you know, I would definitely recommend that everyone's path is individual. And, you know, if I was to ever buy again, who knows? It may not be a fix. It may be something that is built that, you know, it's already ready, that has the characteristics that I'm looking for, but that doesn't have the stress of fixing up an older home or a home that needs to be fixed up. So I would say just focus on your individual journey and your individual path. There are no rules. Just do what is right for you and your family and your situation. And remember, social media is all the right angle. All the right, just like those contractors that were robbing us blind and tearing up our house. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that social media is that, but I'm saying that there is a way to take a photo and to, to show only the best angles. I like to say that it's just kind of like a snapshot or a cliff notes or, you know, a highlight reel. Right. You just have to kind of look at it like that. 100%. <laughs> so I'm going to wrap things up with a series of quick fire questions. All right. All right. Here we go. What does home mean to you in a single word? Peace. Spacious lawn or large basement? 
lawn. I'm an outside person. <laughs> Super high ceilings or lots of natural light? Both. Ooh, you can't have both, Kay. You okay? Okay, okay, okay. Oh, gosh. <laughs> natural light. I have to go with natural light. Bath sheets or regular towels? Bath sheets. Top sheet or just the duvet? Oh, goodness. Top sheet. This one's, it's very controversial, that question. Top sheet. Top <laughs> sheet. <laughs> Neighbors or privacy? Ooh, privacy. Bowls or plates? Bowls. Brass or steel? Brass, for now. Antique brass. <laughs> I like the caveat. Pom-poms <laughs> or tassels? Tassels. Amazing, Kay. This has been so much fun. Can't thank you enough for joining us today. We had such a great conversation, and I think you really, really provided so much context to your particular journey and also so many great nuggets for our listeners. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I am so honored to be able to sit here and to tell my story. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of Better Homes and Gardens, and it's been amazing to be on this journey and to be able to share it with you guys. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to The Better Buy from Better Homes and Gardens. Make sure to follow The Better Buy wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love your feedback, so please rate this podcast and leave us a review. You can also find us online at bhg.com slash thebetterbuypodcast. And make sure to come back next Wednesday for more. See you then.